What would your life really look like if you took an entire year to discover your inner greatness? The moment Jonathan said that to me, he immediately got my attention because sadly, too often we don't ever take time to see the value in who we are, let alone take an entire year to do the work that will help heal our body, soul, and spirit from past trauma. This week on the podcast, I am sitting down with my friend, Jonathan Puddle, and Jonathan is no stranger to the online world. He's the host of the podcast, aptly called The Podcast, and he's the author of a brand new book entitled You Are Enough. In this episode, we talk about self-love, inner healing, and what it really takes to move through spiritual reformation or deconstruction, as I like to call it. Jonathan shares openly and honestly about his journey with mental health and how when he started to experience healing, his impact became greater and he was able to share with more ease and flow. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello friends, welcome to The Courage Cast. My name is Andrea Crisp and I am so glad that you have joined me today. I've got a really great episode for you. My friend Jonathan is going to be joining me. But before we get to it, can I just ask you for a huge favor? If you've not already rated and reviewed the podcast, would you please consider doing so? It really helps to get us seen in the algorithms and as well as having other people listen to the show, which is, of course, why we want to be putting a podcast out every single week. You know, it's crazy to think that this is episode probably 165. I'm almost to the 200 mark, which is like insane to me to think about it. But really, it's been such a fun journey. But the reason why we do put the podcast out each and every week is because we do desire to see that women are empowered to live more bravely and to take those steps to step into their purpose more fully. In this week of the podcast, I'm going to be talking to a fellow podcaster and the author of You Are Enough, Jonathan Puddle. He is a friend of mine. We met a few years ago at a gala and we were introduced to each other through a mutual friend and he's actually been very instrumental in helping me to get guests on the show and it's just always really nice to have friends in the industry to be able to just know that you are uh, running alongside someone else and Jonathan has a phenomenal podcast called The Podcast, and I would highly recommend you listening to it. Now this episode today is all about that spiritual reformation and Jonathan talks about his brand new book called You Are Enough but it also highlights what we go through as people who are in the online sphere whether you're a podcaster a writer an author a speaker and that inner healing that needs to take place in order for us in order for us to truly stand in our worth and value and make a bigger impact. And so I want to encourage you to not only listen to this podcast and take time to really, really hear it, but also to share it with a friend. Okay. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to the Courage Cast. I am really excited to talk to you. I think that I've had more things happen 
when it comes to the podcast after I met you then before, which is really cool. So uh, it's kind of like it feels like a little bit of a full circle moment. People may hear that story in a second, but welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Uh, great to be here with you, Andrea. And I'm so, so glad to hear that. That That is super fun. That was one of, one of those fun, like we were literally at a gala and yeah. somebody's like, you guys need to meet. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it was like, oh, what's the name of your podcast? And it's you're like, it's the podcast. And I was like, no way. And and I was like, I have the courage cast. <laughs> Although mine's not based on my last name. Yours is, but you could change yeah. your last name, Andrea Courage. I could or your middle name I even. I could. I could never even thought about that. I could totally do that. You know, it's um you've been doing a lot of really cool things in the past year, even though we've been in the middle of like in Ontario here, because I know you're living in Ontario. In a, in a major lockdown, you just wrote a book, You Are Enough. It's a devotional and it's a beautiful piece of work that you can go through day by day and you can take just bite size information and then actually do meditations, which I was like, this is so refreshing. It just felt like it was so easy for me just to kind of uh, sit in and and have that space. So I just want to know, like, what's the reason behind this particular writing, especially it being your first book? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, thanks for saying that. I'm glad uh, that it's been a good place for you to sit. It's been an interesting journey for sure. There's like lots and lots of pieces that go into it. I mean, I, uh, I worked in Christian charities and churches for, for over a decade. That's kind of my background career. I had through, through my management role, I had developed a real passion for pastoral work and just for caring for the hearts of people. And I had begun writing a few years ago, I think 2015, I had kind of really put put a lot of work into a manuscript all about about a whole bunch of different stuff and i was super sure it was going to change the world and, and the, all the publishers were like yeah it's okay <laughs> <laughs> so so that was very painful and, and humbling but I, I sort of took that away and just sat with it and had a few different career changes and got into podcasting and different things were you know growing and and, and working and i was blogging and and all that and Somewhere along the line, I felt like God kind of grabbed my attention. And it was actually just one night sitting in my in my dining room, and I just felt just the prompting, not an audible voice, but a prompting within, just sort of saying, what would your life be like if you didn't believe every good thing was about to be taken away from you? Mm, yeah, and good. I was kind of like, uh, step off. I don't believe that. And... But I sat with it and I was like, oh, I do believe that. I believe that mm. in very many parts of my being and my body. Mm. And so that kind of kicked off a journey of more inward discovery. I didn't have a real strong understanding of my emotional framework, of my kind of inner psychological makeup, all the things that that make up a human being. Mm -hmm. And so that's included a lot of different things, uh, lots of reading, lots of following the right people on Instagram and learning about my world, uh, doing the Enneagram. Uh, right now I'm, I'm in therapy and it's been so, so life-giving. And one of the fascinating things that happened along the way was 
I, I set aside about a year because I had someone on my podcast. I don't know. Do you like my sport? My podcast is my spiritual formation. Like that's what oh, challenges huge. me. Yeah. Uh, so I had this guy on my podcast, Luke Gifford, and he said to me, Jonathan, you could set aside a whole year and just practice learning to love yourself. What would happen if you dedicated like a whole year to discovering your inner greatness? And I was like, um, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means, bro. So, so I kind of like took up the challenge. And yeah. so I, I laid down on the couch one day and I was at a, I was kind of in between jobs and, and had just enough financial resources to justify, okay, I'm going to try and figure this out. And I lay on the couch and I said, okay, God, you're just going to have to show me. Cause I don't know what this means. And mm -hmm. I put my hand on my heart and I said, Jonathan, I love you. <laughs> And it felt very awkward and stupid. Yeah. But over a course of days and months and uh, the year, I actually went on this wildly transformative journey that was informed by a bunch of different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, embodiment, breathing practices, uh, emotional understanding and wholeness, uh, even like psychological trauma of informed work, parts work, uh, internal family systems, um, contemplative prayer practices and silence and meditation. And it all kind of coalesced. And, and I thought to myself, I wonder if I could write all these bits out mm -hmm. for someone. And I wonder if they wouldn't have to do a deep dive into all these different things. And if I could just distill the essence out of it. And hey, maybe like maybe I could set it up like a 30-day devotional. It would be very, very different to most, you know, Christian devotional books. Cause, you know, usually it's kind of like a light, encouraging, inspirational thing to read in your morning with your coffee. Whereas this is like, let's think about all your pain <laughs> and invite <laughs> God to teach you to move towards yourself in compassion, the very yeah. thing you feel undeserving of. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I kind of wrote it. And, and I honestly, one day I was in the shower and I thought to myself, maybe I should give up on that other book for now, that other manuscript that I've been pitching hard and nobody's biting. I should just leave it and just get this self-love, learning to see yourself the way God sees you, message out there and i reached out to my agent and she said jonathan i think you should try and self-publish it i think it's really good i think the market is saturated with books like this right now so you're not going to be able to convince a publisher that yours is different just if you can do it bring it to market get it out there and that's exactly what i did it came out in september of 2020 and i have been overwhelmed at the response at the people who've had me on their shows at the, the sales i'm just a just about to hit 2000 sales and and that's all pretty much word of mouth direct kind of stuff i haven't had a major publicity campaign um, yeah and that's been very exciting very humbling and i think more than anything the stories that people send me i had somebody email me this major encounter that they had mm -hmm. in their own kind of meeting different parts of their own kind of history their own story and and Jesus turning up and leading them through, hi, this is sorrow. Hi, this is grief. Hi, this is godly pride. Hi, this is satisfaction. All these mm. parts that live within. Yeah. And uh, incredibly privileged to hear the way that people are uh, learning to move towards themselves with compassion and grace.
Mm-hmm. So I didn't plan it out. It wasn't a grand strategic move. It just all kind of happened. I have a background in publishing. I used to run a Christian bookstore. I, I have all these different things. So self-publishing a book okay. wasn't hard. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so fast. Yeah. Okay. I used to, used to run a bookstore, uh, yeah. done a bunch of different things, started a publishing company for a church when they were looking to publish their own materials, a large church in Toronto. And so I, I was confident that I could pull it off. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's been very humbling and overwhelming and has provoked all kinds of other issues in my life. I remember the, the day it came out, freaking out and being like, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been as a bit you, of a bit of a journey. Yeah. As you do. It's so funny. Um, there's so many different places I want to go um, from what you just said. But the one thing before we get to the others is is interesting because for most people, you know, when they think about, oh, a devotional, it's, it seems very Christian-y, you know, a devotional is very Christian-y. Okay. But I know from, you know, listening to your podcast, uh, the podcast, um, not to be confused. They do <laughs> sound very, very similar. <laughs> they do. They do. You really have to say it <laughs> clearly. Um, you have gone through a major shift in your own life spiritually. And I think that this book that you've written, the devotional is really informed by not only your journey, but also by the healing that you've experienced in your journey spiritually, mm-hmm. which I feel like for most people, especially if you're in that space, this is a great book for you. So if you're thinking to yourself, okay, devotional, the word devotional, has already scared me off. (laughs) I want to just encourage you to look past that word and go right into uh, the fact that this is a journey. And the journey that you've been on, Jonathan, has been really interesting. And I love how you've been able to weave some of those new practices and learnings that you probably didn't hear in the church into this, right? Because I... I knew like when I was doing my own journey, I was like encountering all of these different practices. And I was like, at first I was like, I'm going right to hell. And then I was like, well, I don't know if I believe in hell anymore. So maybe I, maybe I don't have to worry about that. So um, there was all these things and I would just like, okay, well, I felt like, you know, uh, being a Christian for years and years and years and thinking about, well, if I start to believe in any of these new agey type of practices, then, you know, I'm, you know, when the when it's time for the rapture, like I'm the one person who's, you know, like with the other direct. Yeah. (laughs) And so like there's there was a lot that I had to kind of really sift through. Definitely. And you've used a lot of those beautiful practices and made them very easy to digest. Mm. And like you said, distill the essence. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to refer to God as he anymore. I think there's all these layers, like there's all different layers. I'm like, can I write a non-gendered view of God that is really like gentle? Uh, That's probably my favorite piece of feedback is people say, Jonathan's book is shockingly gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so it's like, okay, yes, I have, I have, I mean, I I grew up reading the Bible and then I threw the Bible away. And then now I have rediscovered things I love about the Bible because I've found gentleness in it. I've found 
dignity in it. I, mm-hmm. But I had to spit it out for a while because all I was finding was patriarchal violence and yeah. rape culture and horrific stuff. And I was watching in the culture, oh yeah, the Bible being held up to defend horrific un-Jesus things. Yeah. So I realized I, if I can segue, if I detour just briefly on this. Absolutely. I think I had been taught or I don't want to blame all of my teachers because I'm going through therapy. I have recognized that so much is just what Jonathan came to believe. Mm-hmm. So let's I'm trying now in in halfway through 2021 to stop blaming the evangelicals and stop blaming the charismatics and stop blaming everybody else and just say, OK, this is what Jonathan internalized. Jonathan internalized that God was very fragile, that God was prone to anger, that God was basically sort of like like watching like a teacher leaning against the wall at a, at a high school dance. And yeah. God is basically very concerned, and I don't really know how to dance. But I've been told that Jesus is the best, and Jesus is coming to the dance. And so all I've got is this instruction manual to try to teach me how to dance. And if I screw up, then God is unhappy, and Jesus will leave and go and dance with somebody else. And like you just said, the rapture will come, and I will be left behind. And it's this very slippery, it's like a tightrope walk covered in slippery oil. Mm. And somehow I ended up here through no fault of my own i'm cursed anyway yeah and that was the gospel and i was told that was good news and you should be happy about it and that's grace (laughs) Uh. so now i am telling people a different story Mm -hmm. one where the the substance yeah of others centered self-giving love that very substance is somehow personified and and the hebrew scripture personifies it into a father a son and a spirit which which i think often we should we should look at as a as a feminine embodiment mm-hmm. and that these three make up one whole And they love one another flawlessly and perfectly and endlessly. And they have been dancing forever. And they decided that they would like to teach more people to dance. And so they created a whole universe so that we could live in it and enjoy it. And they would come alongside us. And like we all actually know, the best way to learn to dance is not through instructions, but is with someone who knows what they're doing. A God whose arms are big enough to wrap all the way around us, who knows that we will trip, who knows we will stumble, who designed us with the capacity to make mistakes in the first place, Mm -hmm. and is not allergic to our humanity, is in fact head over heels in love with our humanity, and is here in all things, holding all things together, drawing us ever on into love and joy and peace and wholeness. And yeah, this life also includes pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. But that is sometimes just part of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a story that I can now see in the Bible. That's a story that I've 
I've rediscovered in my own body and through all these different practices, as well as through, again, Orthodox Christianity. You roll the clock back a thousand years and you listen to you know, Teresa of Avila and these people in the desert talking about the divine flame of love. And I'm like, okay, okay, I can get on board with this kind of Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this modern machine that I don't love. So I tried to write the book really out of the guts of that. And so it's been really interesting for really progressive people to be like, oh, I love this. And then really like, even like different denominations, Catholics coming and being like, oh, I'm on board with this. If anyone, yeah. it's if anyone, it's the reformed evangelicals who were like, well, I'm I'm troubled by what you're saying, which is why I filled it with Bible verses. <laughs> but all the nice ones. <laughs> I love that. No, you know, um, it it just really was because there's a lot of times where, like you mentioned, even for myself, it's been really a difficult journey to even consider reading certain things anymore. And, you know, even for myself, you know, one of the things that my therapist has said to me is, you know, if it's triggering for you right now, then that's okay. Things don't have to look the way that they used to. And actually, they probably shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been one of the most, I guess, um, liberating thoughts for me is that it doesn't have to look the way that it used to look. And I and I know for myself, like I've had to, you know, really go through therapy. I've done a lot of uh, body work as well. Um, Meditation and breathing mindset work. Like, I mean, you name it. I've done it. And it's interesting that you say that you got to a place where you were like, this is what I internalized and this is what I made to be true. Because I think that even when I think back to my childhood and things that happened in my childhood, you know, I don't particularly think that things happened to me because people were being trying to be mean or awful. You know, I think that it just is what it is. And I internalized something to be true out of that made it a story I lived by and a narrative that I, you know, started to view my life through and, you know, got to this age and realized, oh, wow, like that was just a lens. And it informed so much of my life. But in order to shift the lens and to really get a new perspective, there's some work, some deep healing work that actually needs to be accomplished in me because my body has internalized that perspective and those thoughts that they are now a reality. Absolutely. And that they've manifested illness. They've manifested mental health issues. They've manifested, you know, so many things. Um, I'd love to know your take on how that has shifted in your own life, where it comes to mental health, where it Mm. comes to you know, physical health, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Huge, huge tie-ins to physical health and mental health mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and beyond, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are categories. They're helpful, but we're so much more integrated, obviously, as you know, as human beings. Uh, you're, okay, you're a child and something scary happens. Your parents um, have a fight and you, you're, you're tiny early development brain looks at that and says, okay, I have two options. Either the the giants around me, the gods around me are untrustworthy and unsafe and dangerous, or I am untrustworthy 
and dangerous and unsafe. It is not tolerable for me as a child to consider that the gods and the giants around me are unsafe. It must be me. And so from the youngest age, everything is your fault, right? That's simply how it works from the mind of a child. Also, as a child, you're super egocentric, which is healthy for a little child. And uh, if your parents are caring for you well, you they will make you feel like you are the center of the world. Uh, I, I had somebody on, on, the sh on a show recently say to me, Jonathan, is it possible that original sin is actually just like the healthy egocentrism of a child? But, but that we should be growing out of that mindset. There's a lot more to that, but I thought that was a very yeah. interesting way to think about it. Um, okay, so everything's your fault. And then your brain is, is taking that lens and is looking at all the other things that are happening around you. And you're figuring out the best ways to avoid pain, to stay in pleasure, and depending on kind of the imprinting of your soul, whatever that means, just depending on what kind of person you you were born as. And then depending on what your parents are like and your holding patterns and, and, and the country that you live in and the color of your skin and the hair and whether your gender matches what people think and all these different things, different sets of patterns and things start to emerge, right? And you're like, okay, well, the, the best way for me to avoid pain is to be super, super helpful and always to be serving other people and to make sure that everybody is happy with me. And that way I will be happy. And <laughs> if you know your Enneagram, somebody will say, hey, that's a two. Uh, that's me. And, you know, other people like my wife, the lessons they kind of internalized were put up walls. People are untrustworthy and unsafe. Uh, they will try to manipulate you and control you. And so the best way is for you to never need anybody to be to be totally self-sufficient and uh, be permanently on the lookout for uh, attempts to control you and mess you up. And uh, so there's the Enneagram 8. And you have all these different types. And, and the Enneagram is just another system of labels that helps classify some of the more common sets of lessons that we learn. And And like you said... It's all just a lens. It's all just a way of perceiving reality. It's not reality. It's totally a way of perceiving things. However, in the brain, perception is reality. The brain cannot tell the difference between the story that you're telling me and my own life unless I have the context of this conversation right here. Andrea told me those things. So they're her life not my life, which incidentally is why we have to be listening to people's stories, because that's what grows compassion. That's how compassion works, because when you tell me your story, there's a part of my brain that can't tell the difference between Andrea and Jonathan. And so why do I love my neighbor as myself? Because I've learned about my neighbor. That's what that scripture means at a neurological level. That is really, really interesting. Like, I love the way you just put that. Sorry. Isn't that wild? Going, I yeah, learned that. Yeah. I was like, what? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think one of the things that we're seeing, even just in this cultural moment, is you can see the people who haven't heard a lot of stories. Yeah. You can see the way that they talk. Uh, white folks, for example, the way they talk about Black Lives Matter when they just don't get it. when they're like, ah, you know, there's woke people and they start using these terms in derogatory ways. And and there's a lot of things that can be said about the wrongness of that. But yeah. purely from a therapeutic level, I look at these people and I go, oh, they just haven't heard many stories, have they? They haven't learned so to love very well outside of their box of what it means. So 
all these things are happening in the in the brain but as you uh pointed out it's not just in the brain it's it's recorded throughout your body yeah and uh you know many of your listeners may may know Bessel van der Kolk and his work and he has done such important work in helping us understand that trauma and 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 things that historically and even I think even many of us who grew up in in faith would say well that's a spiritual matter well that's just a soul thing and God just kind of put your soul inside your body for for this time here on earth but but we are we are fully integrated beings that's right and what happens to any part of us gets recorded all throughout our body through our bones and flesh and i mean even even, again even if that just sounds weird to you uh it's it's been demonstrated you know in the last 10 years that your heart your physical heart that does all this beating and blood work also has neurons it literally has memory cells like your brain does uh and it works the same way It, it it obviously isn't it's specialized to different tasks yeah but but there's so much more integrity in in the system than than we have uh, really understood and much of that is new science we just didn't know and so okay that's fine here we are today mm-hmm. and so which is i think it's called the second brain isn't it yeah that's that's and, exactly right and yeah. not, not only that but this is the wild thing i i uh you know when i first heard people talking about energies I got really freaked out. That was super weird and new age. And in fact, my father, uh, who's always on the edge, was like, Jonathan, I, I, I've, I've been getting massage and it's been really good, but I've been hearing about energy healing and I'm like, oh, dad, you're getting into weird stuff again. But but here's the thing. Uh, to, I, this is relevant and, we'll, and I'll explain why. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just a tangent, but uh, just consider again, your, 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 your high school physics or even before you specialized into physics and just like your grade 10 science uh atoms are made up of what uh like you've got protons electrons nucleus all these bits and pieces i don't even remember all the words i was like i hope you're not actually asking me that question (laughs) i have read it but i was like yeah still not gonna be able to (laughs) we know we're made up of atoms right yeah Right. We've all got that. Well, atoms have yeah. particles that make up them. Someone is cringing right this very moment. I know. <laughs> Some shouting at the, actual science person. At their like, smartphone. You right hacks. <laughs> <laughs> you heart people. Stop talking about things you don't understand. This, uh, and I don't understand it, but this is yeah. this is why it's relevant. Yeah. An atom is like 99% empty space. It's it's just these tiny particles that spin around one another and the energy of their spinning is what creates resistance. And so what feels like solid mass is 99% not solid. It's just energy relationships. And so when we say, you know, oh, I can feel you've got really good energy. People are like, oh, wow, that's a weird thing to say. But uh, if you start to consider that your entire body and everything that you've ever touched and can feel in the chair that you're sitting on right now is 99% energy relationship and not solid mass. Okay. Fair enough. And now your heart creates an electromagnetic field to keep your uh, blood pumping and all these things. And that yeah. field actually has been demonstrated to extend three up to three feet beyond your body. So, yeah. you know, you close your eyes and somebody comes and stands close by you and you can feel that they're there. Mm-hmm. It's not weird hocus pocus. 
your your body is picking up on the electromagnetic presence of another body. Just like when yeah. you put your hand near an, a strong electromagnet, one of those things in the science labs, you can feel something. Okay. So all of that to say that we are super complex, wonderful, amazing people who have been learning lessons from all the painful things in our life. And all of that's been recorded recorded in our bodies. And Proverbs 4.23 somehow says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it is the wellspring of life. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like hate yourself. That's actually pretty good. And Matthew 5.8 says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Thank yeah, you, Eugene good. Peterson, for translating that so graciously. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, this stuff has actually been in the Bible all along, which which to me says it's actually been like, that means it's actually part of life and it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the one that offended me the most. Second Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Uh, how much of the time do you feel like you have been given, Andrea, everything you need? <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though, because as I've learned more about energy work, I actually feel like I, I understand God more. Right. And I felt like when I was just looking at, you know, in the religious context, I felt like I didn't really know. I just knew God from a perspective that I was taught right. and now I'm learning there's so much more that I, I just didn't realize. And that's like really from expanding my own knowledge. Right. Which, you know, then I was like, well, in the, you know, in the garden of Eden, weren't they, you know, wasn't it the tree of knowledge or the tree? Of <laughs> is, like, is that the root of all evil? No. The love of I was like, Oh no. <laughs> but here's the thing. God created knowledge. Yeah. He put it in the garden and he said the entire world was very good. Yeah. I think where we go wrong is where we uh, remain in egocentrism. Because even the ego, I don't think, is wrong. And a lot of the spiritual writers really took issue with the ego. And there's mm -hmm. valid reason for that. But I think it's it's the things that pin us to our ego and yeah. that keep our ego as the primary lens that we engage the world through. Mm -hmm. And so can we look at our ego? Can we look at our emotional core? Can we look at the part of ourself that just wants to get things done? Can we look at our logical reason? Can we look at our bodies? Can we look at that part of ourself that just emerges now and again, that just seems really loving and compassionate to everyone? And can we lean into the energies and the presence of all of those different parts of ourselves and say, you're welcome, you belong, I need you, I will listen to you. You each have different kinds of wisdom to teach mm -hmm. me, right? In the, in, the, in the West, we only really have learned in, to value the cerebral, rational logic kind yeah. of wisdom. And those of us white people who have begun listening to stories from other cultures are like, there's all these other kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom in music. There's wisdom in drumming that the white colonists did their best to eradicate from the indigenous people of this land. Yeah. There's all these other kinds of wisdom. And, and I think even then, we, we, if we look at scripture, 
solely through this rational lens, as many of us were taught in church, it's all just fact, that we're actually not even reading with the same lens that the author has created the works with. So like we're going to run into problems. And so so all of that, uh, I, a couple of years ago, I was brushing my kids' teeth and they were younger. I think my youngest was, I guess, four and, and she like spat toothpaste in my face and that's like my number one biggest trigger for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I... I spun out of the room in a rage. I didn't want to hurt her. And so I left the room and I wound up a punch and I punched a wall as hard as I could. And I was really determined to like get all the way through the drywall and how that would feel so badass. And I would be like, and I just, my hand bounced right off and I collapsed in agony on the ground. And I, I suspect I may have broken one of my knuckles. It, it swelled up and it never quite returned to the same size as my other hand. <laughs> and I realized I have an anger problem. Hmm. Now I had already identified depression and anxiety and panic attacks, but, but what I hadn't really realized at that point was, was a lot of my depression was unexpressed anger. And so I learned, I began to learn about anger. Mm-hmm. And again, I thought anger was a sinful, bad thing. And, and realizing that anger, anger is just advocacy. Anger is the voice inside that says something is wrong. Yeah. And and so as I sat with that, I realized underneath my anger was sadness and grief, loss at so many things, you know. And, and my parents' divorce, my marriage not being as working out the way I thought it would, life in general being hard careers all of it the human condition and and so as i dug down layer by layer this is this is the, the your question originally how does this so what like what does it mean in your body and and mind and life and mental health emotional health as i began to feel emotions that i'd never felt before and learn that emotions aren't these crazy, deceitful demons inside me, that that actually they are a very profound source of truth. But again, even with the profound source of truth that emotions give me, they only have their part of the picture, which is all about pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. There's pain, there's pain, there's pain, there's danger, there's danger. I'm like, okay, well, I really, really need to listen to that. But if the only lens for understanding pain, and if the only tool set I have for responding to pain is whatever I developed as a child, and I am now 35, and maybe that tool set isn't going to be as life-giving and as sustainable as it was when I was five. And maybe now as a grown-ass man, there are things I can do to say, okay, maybe I get to choose. I can look at those emotions and I can say, thank you. I, I, I needed to be made aware that I was hurting and I wasn't aware. Okay, now, let me look around me. Am I in danger? Is my life on the line? Most of the time, no. That's just me. Your answer may be totally different. Your life might be on the line. Mm-hmm. So don't just take that because I said it. I'm looking around myself. I'm not on the line. Okay. So the survival level intensity of all these responses isn't, it's out of proportion now 
but but that's because it, my memory doesn't understand time and so there's all these these things i'm going to be gracious to myself and i'm going to say okay let's bring it down a notch jonathan i'm here i'm with you i'm not going to fill your ears with platitudes you are feeling something mm-hmm. it is not insane to be feeling that it's actually really logical given the events of your life that voice of condemnation that says this isn't logical it's actually super logical for you to be doing what you're doing now mm-hmm. okay thank you for keeping me safe thank you for giving me this information let's move slow let's do the next tiny thing that we think we can safely and healthily do and working through that kind of process has uh, pretty much brought an end to panic attacks in my life. Mm-hmm. It has brought depression for me into a, into a much more holistically manageable space. I still get really dark days sometimes, especially here in lockdown time. Mm-hmm. But I'm no longer doing that dark introspection you know, that just makes it worse where, yeah. oh, everyone's abandoned me because I'm wretched and unworthy. And uh, and thus also my spiritual life is tanking because I have this terrible self-image. Mm-hmm. All of those things are so in- intricately woven together. And 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 then again, spiritually, I have de- I have such a just a sense of peace that divine love is here with me. And I can call divine love Jesus. If, if you don't want to use that name, you're allowed to use a different name. Yeah. And, uh, and all of these things have given me a tool set for moving towards myself in a kind of gentle love that has actually brought healing. Mm-hmm. And to loop back to some of the earlier theological discussion, isn't that funny? That love itself would restore us to wholeness. Yeah. Hmm. Perhaps that shouldn't have been such a mystery. And yet here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have been given everything you need for wholeness and fullness of life. It's all in this amazing package of what a human being is. Created somehow in God's image, whatever that means exactly. Here we are. So for me, it's absolutely transformed my life. It's totally changed me. Uh, and I, again, like I, I still get depressed some days, and I still ha- have the one-off panic attacks. But I, I know what to look for now, and I know how to be gentle and gracious to myself. And it's transformed my marriage, and it's transformed my parenting, because so much of parenting is all just triggering your own stuff inside. And so to move toward my child, my children, in this gracious compassion, and to equip them to start teaching them about their emotions and and doing my daughter and I do this thing at, at bedtimes where I'm like, was there a time today where you felt sadness? Was there a time today where you felt happiness? Was there a time today where you felt anger? Yes, daddy, in fact. And this whole story comes out that I wouldn't have heard. And so uh, I'm indebted to, to many, many people for teaching me all these different things. But but uh, I think I think the benefits to all of us, as so many people are discovering, for mm-hmm. our mental health, for our emotional health, for our physical health. I I wasn't the kind of person who suffered from chronic pains or, or health physical health woes, though of course mm-hmm. depression is also in your physical health. But the number of people who've written in stories um, of how 
it's affected their physical health is remarkable. I had somebody just the other day, a woman in South Africa, write to me and, and say that she experiences physical pain in her heart every time she shuts down her emotions. It's a catch-22 because she's learned to survive by shutting down her emotions. But when she does so, it physically hurts her body. And then usually within about 24 hours, there's a corollary back pain that kicks in. Yeah. And and she she knows enough about herself to, to have observed that whole sequence. Yeah. And she'd been working through my book and work specifically the meditations and moving towards yourself in compassion. And she uh, almost got in an accident. Uh, I mean, this is Joburg, so that's normal. I've been to Johannesburg. Yeah. Slams on her brake, almost hits this other car. And instead of beating herself up for being such a stupid bad driver, she said, whoa, that just happened. I'm so glad you're safe. And just went through a gentle process instead of condemnation. So and she wrote to me and she said, holy crap, this has never happened before. I'm not in pain. My heart's not locking up. My back's not locking up. Yeah. So I'm really cautious about those stories because I don't want people with chronic pain to, to feel like I'm promising them a magic pill. Yeah. But surely but you every know what? single one of us are going to benefit. Right. I, I know from myself, like I can... I can say that, you know, part of my own journey, I came to this place because I had physical pain mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's kind of where I started was like, I started in the physical pain and I was just really tired and fatigued all the time. And then it kind of, I went working with a natural health practitioner and we started doing this chakra energy work. And then as we started doing that and I started realizing different pains in my body meant different things. And then that's when I started exploring and reading more books and, you know, using my own intuition because you know, in the Christian world, call it, you know, like being prophetic, <laughs> you know, but I was like, so it works either way. But um, I started to realize that there was so much that, and, and I mean, I would probably would have never, ever said this before, but started to heal myself. Yeah. I learned that I can actually heal myself and it made a huge, huge difference in my own life. Totally. And one of the things that I did want to talk to you about, because it, it not only changed my mental health, my spiritual health, my, my physical health too, but it had a drastic impact on what I was doing in my work. Totally. And uh, I, I went from, I like the title of your book, You Are Enough. Like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I started this work probably under the guise where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm enough. And, you know, and then as I started to unpack all of these things in my life, I'm like, I started to realize how much that inner critic was playing a huge role in my life and keeping me from really stepping out, keeping me from using my voice um, in, in all of the different careers I'd had prior to coaching and, you know, being a podcaster and writing a book and all that stuff. Like I, I was like always hitting the ceiling and finding a way to blame someone else totally. or the church or, you know, like I just wasn't given a seat at the table, you know, and I had all these reasons and excuses. And all of a sudden, as I'm starting to do this, you know, internal work and healing work, I'm starting to realize, oh, like I've actually manifested this, yeah. you know, like I have, this has happened because I thought it into being yeah. 
And then I spoke it into being. And I was like, and the more I've started to realize that that's been very, very eye opening for me. Yeah. And it was also like a, a part of my journey that I had to really reconcile because I was like, well, you know, that means that like, you know, I had to question so many spiritual contexts that I had believed before. But I'm curious because there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this podcast who are communicators. They have a podcast or they are, you know, have a business where they are coaching other people or are leading a community of of some sort Mm -hmm. they are you know and that's what you're doing you're leading you know your community is very vibrant you know you have um the community around patreon for your podcast you know all of these things like how has it shifted you in your work yeah yeah immensely i can definitely basically kind of point to the particular podcast episode where things are different (laughs) before and after obviously there's a progression but but nonetheless uh um yeah let me let me say that an inner critic is a safety mechanism like right it's it's a part of you that basically is trying to keep you safe from not stepping out and risking things in dangerous ways it's a part of you that has figured out oh if I can tell Andrea she's a piece of shit, then she won't do dangerous things and put herself in harm's way. Yeah. We don't want to be in harm's way, do we? No. So our, out of our abundance of love and care for Andrea, we will run her down all day so that she never gets hurt. Isn't that strange? <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we move towards the inner critic with yeah. passion, and we say thank you for keeping me alive thank you for doing what you knew how to do with the tools that you had to benefit us and to keep us safe from harm that is good good intended work do you perhaps notice some of the fruit of that yeah yeah it doesn't work out that well yeah it doesn't okay well maybe we can look at some different tools but again, if we if we try to shame our inner critic, <laughs> then like, I mean the inner critic is a, basically a, a voice born of shame that uses yeah. shame <laughs> to keep you from feeling shame. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't compute. So, uh, but but that the imposter syndrome, all that kind of stuff, is, is is immensely real. Yeah, and especially if you are do, do people stop podcasts for different reasons, right? I started a podcast because I was told by the publishers you need to build a platform and I also had bills to pay and I needed income and so on and so forth. So a lot of this work in social media spaces and being an influencer and all these different things, a lot of it really is not good soul work. It It's biased towards performance, towards mm. creating a facade and putting that out there and trying to convince people that you are wonderful when most of us don't feel wonderful. And most of us don't feel like we have that much wisdom to offer the world. Certainly on Monday morning when my allergies are kicking in and I'm on strong antihistamines and I feel tired, I don't feel like I have anything to offer the world. Uh, so I'm sitting down to talk with Andrea and I'm like, okay, I feel like garbage, <laughs> but I have done this before. And I, and other people have said, I have good things to say. So I'm going to lean on that until I believe it for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to remain open 
to the fruit of this discussion. And so as we are talking, at one point, Andrea said, whoa, that's so cool the way you said that. And so I'm going to do my best to internalize that and, and accept that while we're talking. That has been, for me personally, the biggest kind of shift in my work has been when I am podcasting, I am so much more present. I am so much more engaged in the intimacy of the dialogue. And, and that comes back as well to what we talked about before about the mirror neurons and then hearing your story and seeing who you are and allowing who you are to, to enter my being in some way. And that has that has dramatically changed the level of authenticity and vulnerability that is present in my podcasts, which has then impacted my listeners because they're like, whoa, the, I, I'm, I'm, list, I'm sitting here listening to your show, feeling all these things. And I'm like, isn't that wild? Wow, I, I, I love it. It's also tiring. And I find I come off an interview on cloud nine and exhausted yeah uh but but that tells me i'm doing good work that tells me i'm present and i'm feeling and and i'm i'm believing that it's going to connect to to the audience and so that has impacted my audience and what's wacky is that that's been very authentic and very real and and when i stopped doing all the audience building things and all the marketing 101 because you can find 101 blogs and YouTube videos on all the things we're supposed to be doing to successfully build our platform and making sure we're posting the right number of hashtags at the right time of day and so on and so forth. <laughs> right now, I can't even be on social media because of keeping my mental health on an even keel. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't been on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter for, I don't know, almost a month. And, I, and I'm so much happier. <laughs> <laughs> so I put out a podcast yeah. each week. And I post something through Buffer or through a, some other scheduling tool, so I don't even have to log in to see. I don't even have the have the apps installed. Yeah. The only thing that I see is my podcast download stats, and of course, I do see when new people join my Patreon community. Yeah. And all that stuff is growing right now, so crazy. like crazy. Yeah. And it's so weird. And I'm like, maybe a huge lot of of this social media thing is like weird pageantry. But maybe also people are connecting and it's just an, an entryway for people to actually enter into a really deeply vulnerable human encounter. Yeah. And so that has really shifted my work. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just about human encounter really now. Mm -hmm. And and that had always been kind of my goal from the beginning, but it's gotten such so much more authentic, so much deeper. And then it's impacted my writing. It's impacted my pastoral work because I'm a kid's pastor and I do discipleship work in the church, which is just the Christian word for human spiritual growth encounter. Yeah. And, and so that's all uh, really transformed my work and, uh, and allowed me to show up with a with a greater degree of confidence, but it's like a confidence born in just the goodness of all of our humanity. It's not the confidence, this comes back to our point on the egocentrism, right? It's not the confidence that's born of a puffed up egocentric pride. Yeah. It's the confidence born of something magical will happen if we can, if enough of us can show up 
in our true selves, Love that. then something beautiful and divine is mm-hmm. going to happen. And so I'm I'm practicing being really confident in that. And some people might listen, if, if you are from a more of a church background and you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm not hearing enough about them inviting the Holy Spirit into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's the thing. It is I... I just constantly am aware of the presence of God with me now. Yeah. 24 hours a day. And that doesn't, I don't feel the need to have to invite the Holy Spirit in. I'm I'm just in awe that, wow, God, you're still here, aren't you? This is great. What mm-hmm. shall we do? And sometimes God says, well, I would really like to see that person over there they're hurting maybe we can reach them and other times it feels like god's like what what what's on your mind let's just go yeah um so yeah it's it's impacted my work immensely the the i i still bump into those imposter things right it does it's not like it's taken the issue away yeah but it, again it's given me language it's given me a tool set it's given me a practice to go okay what's actually at stake here jonathan yeah why are you so afraid uh, there's no shame in being afraid, but can we tune in? Can we look inside? Can we feel the body? Where, where when you breathe right now, which part of you is refusing to take in the breath? Mm-hmm. Okay. Am I in danger? No, there's not a bear after me. No. Okay. So let's start to unpack all of the things. Well, you know what the truth is? So many people have been buying my book. I just. I just think I've probably sold it to everyone who's interested. And so I'm afraid that there will be no more sales after tomorrow. Yeah. All right. So why why is that scary? Well, because you need to feed your family and because you want to feel like not a failure. Okay, well, let's look at the data. You're not a failure. Fear doesn't mean you're a failure either. Fear means you're living. Fear means you're a human being. That's right. And so here we are. Let's move forward graciously and slowly. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that again, when enough of us can stop moving in that way, then something magical, I think, will happen. I love that. We're going to stop right there because I don't think that we can say anything more that's <laughs> any more eloquent than that. But before we do go, I always like to end with just a few like fun things, rapid fire questions. Yes. Um, because, you know, everybody wants to know a little bit about you, you know, in the randomness of your life so you can you can share um i want to know what's the best book you've read during quarantine lockdown i'm halfway through reading it right now it's blowing my mind it is called the wounding and healing of desire by wendy farley and it is a deep philosophical examination of the human condition Mm -hmm. and it is very possibly the greatest book i've ever read Oh, interesting. Okay. It's not for the faint of heart, <laughs> but it's great. <laughs> the Wounding and Healing of Desire by Wendy. I'll tell you what, if you've if you've made it through this entire episode, you want to read that book. <laughs> then you are tracking with Jonathan and I. You're like, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you guys. Um, I've also been reading a ton of like historical fiction and fantasy because I need the escape. So yeah. I've been reading The Witcher because I watched The Witcher on Netflix and I loved it. And then I got all the books and I read all the books. <laughs> what is your new favorite quarantine activity? Uh, it feels so hipster to say baking sourdough bread <laughs> like everybody else. <laughs> I bake a lot of sourdough. I fed, I've got two different starters on the go. I fed them this morning and I've been making tons of interesting breads. 
That is awesome. Okay. What is one new thing you have learned this year? Could be that you've learned or learned about yourself. That that there are some things out of this COVID lockdown that I want to keep. We were too busy, our family, last time. And I want mm-hmm. to keep some of these rhythms. I do not want my children in my house all day, but I do want to keep some of these rhythms of slowness yeah. that have been a, a, a forced necessity, mm-hmm. but I want to keep some of those intentionally. And then the last one, um, how has this changed you? This season, this time? Yeah. As a as a a really highly relational, emotive, empathic helper person, mm-hmm. so much of my identity was rooted in what I did for others. And I did all I did. I've done all this deep work, and I've written this book, and I've gone on the journey, and I have a therapist. But to be cut off from everybody, and to then have to cut myself off from social media, for my health. It's been really encouraging to realize that there's still some human being here left. Once all those things are cut off, Jonathan Puddle still exists and is still great and is still wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I like myself. And while I really miss people and I and I and I know that's a God-given good part of me to be relational. It's not a problem. It's not a liability. Uh it's really was like well the proof of the pudding here is in the eating and here i am alone not alone i I, you know privilege i have a wife and kids yeah but so much more alone and i have learned that i can survive yeah that's a shock (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny there's so much that you said i can totally relate to so (laughs) thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning and for sharing your wisdom where can people find you um, and actually get a a copy of your book thank you andrew this has been so fun this has been the best possible start to my week (laughs) oh good (laughs) Um, people can find me at jonathanpuddle.com i am on all the social medias everything there is currently auto scheduling you're just not going to be able to dm me i mean you can send the dms i won't read them at jonathan puddle on twitter instagram and facebook i'm usually most active on instagram uh youtube as well tiktok even but there's not much there the podcast you'll find it on all the major uh podcast platforms and my book you are enough learning to love yourself the way god loves you is available wherever you find books pretty much uh, even some of your local libraries. Uh, so awesome. Yeah, Amazon and elsewhere. So I've recorded the audiobook and it's been in it's been waiting on Audible to put it up for now six months. So I've basically just given up. But uh, yeah, you can also actually buy if you if you really want the audiobook and, and you don't mind an MP3 or something, you can buy that from from my website, jonathanpuddle.com. Mm-hmm. Well you can always have a relaunch. That's true. When it finally comes out. That's true. You know? Yeah. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Okay, friend. What a great conversation. You know, it makes me think about really, truly moving through imposter syndrome. And if you're anyone who's ever suffered with that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm pretty sure that all of you have at one point or another, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of feeling less than and giving into those old stories, those old narratives of 
who you've believed yourself to be in the past. But when you are able to get that healing, that inner healing that you truly need to see who you are, to see how you can impact lives, it just makes things so much easier and their flow is there and you're not as worried about how people are going to receive you or whether or not you're going to, you know, be asked to contribute or collaborate in a project or you're not worried whether or not you're going to be rejected. And I think it really takes the sting out of so many things that we've gone through, whether we were kids or teenagers or even into adulthood. So I want to thank Jonathan for being on the podcast today because really talking to someone about that spiritual reformation and getting that inner healing has really been something that I know I've gone through in my life. And it's nice to know that there are people doing the journey alongside me and you may be in that journey yourself. I'd love to hear about it if you are. So make sure you do reach out. This has been such a fun episode to record. And, you know, it's always really great talking to a friend. And I want to thank Jonathan for being on the show and for lending his support to the Courage cast along the way over the years. Friend, if we haven't already connected, please let's connect on Instagram. You can find me at, at Andrea Crisp Coach or at the dot Courage Cast. Jonathan's links will be located in the show notes for you so you can access his book as well as his social media platform and where you can find him on the web. Thanks for hanging out. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.